Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We're going to continue our NFL previews on this edition of the podcast. We're going to look at the New York Jets with uh, Dennis Wazak Jr. of the Associated Press. Uh, the New England Patriots with Brady Farkas of WDEV Radio in Burlington, Vermont. And also a uh, Shenandoah High School graduate. And the uh, moves in the broadcast booth in the National Football League with uh, Ken Fang of Awful Announcing. Well, let's start with the Jets. Uh, they're coming off a 4-13 and season under Robert Sala, who begins his second season as the Jets head coach. And he's got to deal with a quarterback problem because Zach Wilson, uh, who was the number one, one the first round draft pick last year with the Jets, uh, was injured in the first preseason game uh, back in August against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he is going to be out, and uh, Robert Sala mentioned in a press conference on Wednesday that uh, the earliest uh, Zach Wilson will come back will be uh, in week four, but he's not going on the IR. There was some speculation a, a couple of days ago that he could be ready to play Sunday when the Jets host the Baltimore Ravens at uh, MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. But uh, uh, Sala put that uh, speculation to rest during his press conference Wednesday. And Joe Flacco, the former Baltimore Raven quarterback, will start for the Jets against his old team. Uh, I spoke with Dennis Wazak Jr. of the Associated Press. He covers the uh, league for the AP as well as the Jets. We spoke last Thursday about uh, the Jets and Zach Wilson and – we talked about what it's going to be like uh, in year two with Robert Sala. Well, Dennis, welcome back to the podcast. How was your off season? It was uh, it was busy, Ken. Uh, there was a lot to uh, you know all around the NFL and especially the Jets. They they had a lot going on, but uh, I'm I'm ready for the real thing, and it's coming up soon. Yeah. Well, it's year two of Robert Sala as the head coach, and he goes into the opener. And as we tape this uh, episode, it's about we're uh, over a week away from the season opener. The status of Zach Wilson, he gets started in the first preseason game against the Eagles, uh, tore a meniscus, had a bone bruise, which I guess is a blessing it wasn't worse. But yeah, how does this uh, affect the Giants at the start? I'm sorry, the Jets, the Jets at the start of the season. I, I think um, the Jets are going to be cautious with Zach Wilson. I think um, all indications are that he's healing, uh, you know, and, and he's looking pretty good. Uh, we saw him at practice uh, during um, during the week, um, leading into the first week of the season. He's uh, he's walking, you know, looks pretty good. Um, but you know, it's it's a knee, and it's one of those things, like you mentioned, it, the torn meniscus, the bone bruise, all of that needs to heal. Um, and I think he's coming along, but. Like I said, they're not going to rush him onto the field. And I, I think it's probably wishful thinking to expect him to be on the field on September 11th at home against Baltimore um, because he's got to get some time back in. He's got to get back on the practice field to trust that knee and to, to trust how he's feeling. Uh, so my, my gut would say Joe Flacco will more than likely start the season opener. Uh, I think there's hope that Zach Wilson will be ready for week two. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And it'll it'll be an intriguing situation to see how Joe Flacco performs if he does start against his former team. And, you know, the Jets have the AFC North right off the bat, four straight games. 
tough competition, some tough defenses, some tough places to play. Um, so, uh, again, the Jets are not looking to get Zach Wilson out there. It's one of the luxuries having a veteran like Joe Flacco on the roster uh, to, to, to kind of just keep it warm before Zach Wilson is fully 100% healthy. Man, you covered that Jets-Giants uh, preseason finale a couple of weeks, Sundays ago, and um, you, you wrote that Flacco struggled against that, uh, against the Giants. It was basically the backup backups that uh, ended up winning that game for the Jets. So and Flacco, he's what, 58, 59 years old, I think, at this point. But uh, <laughs> um, what is, how, does, how has he looked? I mean, is he ready to be the uh, de facto number one right now? Yeah, I think so. I think that was just one of those games where he hadn't played in the preseason because in that first preseason game at Philly, when Zach Wilson got hurt, they didn't dress Flacco. They had they had um, Mike White dressed, and they had Chris Trevler. And we all know what happened with Chris Trevler and, and his uh, captain comeback story over the uh, preseason. But Joe Flacco didn't dress for that game. So then, um, you know, against against the Falcons, you know, it, it, it just he didn't get a lot of time um, to play. And I think he had a very good training camp. That can't be. Um, you, you know, uh, overlooked. I think he looked sharp. I think what happened against the Giants was that, um, you know, he, there was some rust, and there was some rust with the offense. The offensive line for the first time with all five guys up front, they were playing together for the first time this this offseason. Um, there was a bad fumble by Michael Carter. There was a bad interception by Flacco. There was just some sloppiness and it, it's not alarming to me. I think it, it's like, okay, we need to, you know, clean this stuff up. Uh, but Joe Flacco's been there, done that. You know, I, I think um, he knows what he's got to do. And like I said, in, in training camp, he was very efficient. He looked uh, very comfortable. Uh, he's loose. I, I, I think this um, he, this is now the third season Joe Flacco has been with the Jets. And I think this is the loosest I've seen him. Just kind of knowing his, his role here and knowing that, you know he's probably going to start early on, and, um, and and he's got he's got playmakers around him, so he doesn't need to force anything. He doesn't need, and the same goes for for Zach Wilson, and you know that that's another part of the, the big picture story for the Jets. But I, I think Flacco will be fine. I think he's still got he's still got a, a, a like a terrific arm. We saw it, you know, throughout training camp, um, and the decision making's there. I think he's he, he'll he'll be fine. Getting back to Zach Wilson, this is his second year. I mean, he had an up and down rookie year. How was he looking in uh, practices leading up to the start of the preseason? Well, the thing is, early on, he was very much up and down. There were days where you saw him really good, and then other days where it was just eh, you know. And then about a week and a half before the preseason opener, he put together several solid practices where. You watched him and you said, you know what? He looks pretty good. You know, he looked efficient. He looked accurate. Um, he looked like, he, you know, he was making the right decisions out there. Um, it was what you wanted to see, what you were expecting to see from a guy in his second year, in his second training camp, um, who's got that playbook, um, you know, kind of he's been working on it. And, and I think that was promising. And that is probably the most unfortunate part of it for Wilson and the Jets is that he was really starting to kind of get over that hump and, and hit somewhat of a stride. Then he goes into Philly 
and he had a bad first series, and then we all know the second series he got hurt. So it kind of it kind of clouds like the the thought of Wilson and what is going on uh, with him. But I, I think that the arrow was pointing up going into that game. But he's missing valuable time now. Like no matter what anyone says, mental reps and that kind of thing, it's it just for a kid who's 23 years old coming off of. Uh, you know, a down and up rookie season last year. You need him to get as much time on the field, and and now we're we're looking at you know maybe not being ready for week one, maybe not week two. Um, so it's it'll be a while since he will have had that positive momentum, and he's got to kind of build that up. So that that's what you're really looking at. But at that point, things were looking up for him. So I think that's what you kind of if you're Zach Wilson, if you're the Jets. You got to kind of latch on to that, that he looked like he was kind of uh, moving forward in his progression. Interesting phrase there. Instead of saying up and down season, he said down and up season. Was it more down for Zach last year than up? Well, at the beginning of, of his rookie season, it was very down. He was not playing well at all. Then he got hurt when he sprained his knee and then sat for four games and then he came back and he was very efficient and he didn't throw an interception in his last five games. His decision-making was much better. You could see that the game was slowing for him. He was uh, making plays and not forcing things as he was early on in the season. So that's kind of why I say it was a down and up because it did finish on an upswing um, with him where, whereas it didn't go really up and down, up and down, up and down. It was really down, and then he had that break for the injury, and then it, it was pointing up when he uh, when he came back and finished the season. Another injury news: uh, Mackay uh, Becton. Uh, season's over. Chip fracture in his right kneecap. Uh, <laughs> that's a difficult injury. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, when you saw him. This was during a practice. He was kind of limping a little bit before that because he's coming off of uh, a knee injury that kept him out basically all of last season too. And he got hurt in the opener at Carolina. Well, he's practicing and you see him go down and he's just not looking good. And you knew that that wasn't a good sign. And clearly a guy who's as big as he is, you know, six, seven and, you know, 370 pounds or whatever. I mean, that, like there's a lot of weight there. So, um, it's probably a concern for the Jets at this point because, you know, the knees are important, obviously, especially, you know, linemen trying to put brace, you know, have that weight on them and stuff. And that guy, he's a big guy. And now this is going to be two years, you know, two year, basically two full seasons that he's missed. Um, and you just kind of wonder um, what the future holds. Now, uh, Joe Douglas, uh, with our meeting, during our meeting with him the other day, he said, that uh, Becton is, you know, had surgery in Los Angeles. He's doing rehab there, and the doctors are optimistic that, um, you know, for his long-term future playing football. So that that's a good sign. At least they don't think that this is something that could really kind of cut away at his playing future. I think they still believe he does have a future, and it'll be interesting to see once he does come back next year and he's healthy. Is he a left tackle? Is he a right tackle? I think they just, at this point, they just want to get him back to where he's on the field and where he can stay on the field because as, as much 
as as much talent as he has, he hasn't been able to do that, and that that's the disappointing part. And and it'll be interesting to see also if the Jets keep him around, you know, and like they've moved on, they've signed Dwayne Brown to play left tackle. I mean, he's thirty seven years old, but we'll see if he's still got something left in him. And they have George Fan at right tackle, so. Um, it, it definitely, these injuries, unfortunately for Beckton, it kind of clouds his future with this team. Robert, Robert Sala begins his second season as the head coach of the Jets. Uh, what do you think he learned from year one, and how is he going to apply that to year two? Yeah, that's a good question, and I, I think um, probably something that it maybe is overlooked a little bit from last season because so much focus is on Zach Wilson, you know, but... Um, Robert Sala was in his first year as a head coach. Michael Floor was in his first season as an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, Jeff Albrook, his first full season as a defensive coordinator. So um, the coaching staff was learning, too. And I think um, Robert Sala has kind of talked about that, just kind of um, understanding what needs to be done, you know, what, how he needs to approach his team. Um, from week to week, and so I think there's there's a learning curve going on for him too as a coach, as a head coach, and just kind of overseeing the team. Um, I think there's got to be better coaching, <laughs> you know, overall. Um, but I think they understand that, and I think um, they have a better feel for the roster. And I think what they did by bringing in some of the guys in the off season and in the draft and then ha- adding some guys who made it through the cuts during training camp. There's a definite focus. Uh, there's speed. There's physicality. They want certain guys with the mentality, uh, you know, that team-first mentality. You see it. There's a different kind of vibe. Um, you hear that all the time. But I think there truly is a, a different approach. I mean, we were in the locker room uh, for the first time since 2019, and the guys are – are playing, you know, cornhole and are joking around. I think there's a looseness, um, uh, a tight-knit thing, and I think that's where Robert Sala comes in. I think that he really uh, provides that influence, but uh, I think he's still somewhat unproven as a head coach. Uh, he needs to be better, um, and he's acknowledged that. And, and I think, uh, you know, all that the talk about Wilson's progress, I think, Robert Sala's progress as a head coach will also be a primary storyline for this team throughout the season. I'm reading your uh, August 31st story, uh, the, the, the headline, Sala likes potential of Jets, quote, built, not bought roster, unquote. It seems like he wants to, you know, not go to the, try to, you know, throw money at people, just, you know, wants to build a chemistry with draft picks and all that stuff. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think what what he means there is that, you know, they have some veterans, but there's a young base that's being uh, built basically as a foundation. When you think of of uh, Zach Wilson and um, Elijah Vera Tucker at, at right guard and some of the young wide receivers like Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson and, um, you know, some of the defensive players as well. I mean, they, they do have – not necessarily homegrown, but they've taken some chances on some guys who were, are maybe starting to hit their peak of their playing careers and reaching a certain point um, where they think you know that, that they can really get something out of. And you look at that defensive line with Quinn and Williams. They got John Franklin Myers from from the Rams. You know, he was kind of cast away from them, and he's become a, a prime player on that defensive line. I think that's what they're talking about. He's talking about there that 
the, there's a young foundation of guys that are that will peak as members of the Jets, and I think they're they're looking at the long term sustainability of that, where they can have guys grow within the organization, and with that, winning will come with these guys leading the way. So I, I think that's part of it. Where we've seen Jet teams in the past, especially during the Mike Tannenbaum era at the GM, where they, they were signing the big names and they were trying to bring in those those high price free agents to try to win now and i think joe douglas has that approach where they, they kind of reset when robert sala became the coach and i think right what they're trying to do now is is really sort of what the baltimore ravens did and that's and the, the eagles to some extent where you see you build a foundation to sustain long-term success and the, the ravens where joe douglas started are certainly a great model for that, what Ozzie Newsom did there. So that's what Robert Sala's talking about, where not that they didn't just buy guys to win now, they're trying to build to win now and in the future. How patient should this organization be under you know, with Robert Sala as a, as a, in his second year, and how patient should the fans be? It's, it's hard to say. It's hard to tell the fans to be patient, right, because mm-hmm, they've yeah. been – They've been waiting for so long, you know, and they've they've seen coaches come and go and GMs come and go and then, you know, a lot of losing. I mean, the Jets, let's face it, they have the longest playoff dra- active playoff drought in the NFL, 11 seasons. And it's not going to be easy to, to uh, end that this year either, not in that division with Buffalo as good as, as, as it is and and the other teams in the division too and, and a tough schedule. But those are excuses. You know, what you want to see is what Joe Douglas has said, and even with Robert Sala, you want to be able to go into December relevant, with being able to at least be in the hunt, so to speak. You know, and and that hasn't been something that the Jets have have done in quite some time. I mean, the last time they had a winning record was 2015, when they went 10 and six, and and lost that game to Buffalo and missed the playoffs. You know, and um, you know, I, I think when you look at what they're building. I think you have to be positive about what Joe Douglas has done, bringing in some of the young talent through the draft, guys that, like I was talking about earlier, who will be what they, you know, perceive as as foundation pieces. And and I think the same for Robert Sala, in terms of you know, okay, this is year two, and they're still kind of building that foundation. But the big thing, and there's two parts to it. You have to see if Zach Wilson is that quarterback of now and the future. And it, there has to be progress. Like, I don't know that a four-win season is going to do it. You know that mm-hmm. Not that I think their jobs would be in jeopardy, but I think there needs to be some signs where maybe they just win six games, but they're in almost every game. And it's like, okay, we just need a little bit more, and we'll be in this thing in year three in this situation, you know, and, and I think that's what you really need to see um, where there's, there's, there's regular competition They're They're regularly competitive and they're in games in the fourth quarter and, and fans at home aren't just like, you know, throwing their hands up and ready to leave. Um, they need to, to have teams like that. And I think the way they've built it, I think they will be, I think the defense is better um, the offense is definitely better, but it, it'll all depend on the quarterback play. It really will, and and how they coach these guys. So not, you don't think they'll make the playoffs this year? It's hard to say they will. I mean, when you look at that schedule, especially at the beginning um, and the division, it's. I mean, 
Buffalo is going to win the division, right? I mean, I, I had to write the AFC East preview, and I mean, the Buffalo Bills might be the best team in football. You know, they, they I, I think right now in some of the, uh, you know, the betting places there, they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl. So when you're looking at all the talent that Buffalo has, you're, you're now look at, if you're the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Patriots, you're looking at second place in a wild card spot. Um, so I think those teams are going to beat up on each other, you know, those three teams. And so then you look at the out of division games and it's going to be tough, you know, and I think, if the Jets can start two and two, getting through the AFC North at 500, well, they're off to a good start, and there will be some positive momentum. But I just don't see how you know they could be a playoff team this year. Even though CJ Mosley and others have said, you know, that's our goal, that's what we believe, and and you know, Ken, every year we see a team or two come out of nowhere. Maybe that's the Jets. I think they have talent, but I think they're still just a year away. Yeah, my Eagles last year totally unexpected them to uh, expect they make the playoffs last year, and now expectations are through the roof there. So I know that feeling about patience and lack thereof. But uh, you talked about the, your story previewing the AFC East. You predicted Bills, Dolphins, Jets, Patriots in the last? I just don't believe I, I know like, that was one of the things when I was doing it. I thought, you know what, people are going to kill this, but I just don't, I don't know that I believe in their defense. I think, I don't know that I believe in the offense either. And I think when you look roster by roster, I think the Jets really do have a better overall roster of talent than the Patriots at, at this point now. They've got Bill Belichick. That's the wild card and all this. That you know, he he can you know somehow turn things from nothing into something. And um, but I, I I just don't know. I I mean, I do you believe in Mac Jones fully at this point? I, I don't know. You know, and I I I think the Jets have enough playmakers on offense that they're they're going to be able to hang with some teams offensively, which sounds crazy because you know that that hasn't been the case for for a few years. Um, and the defense has some depth, and that, that's another thing that they don't, they haven't had. That secondary is better. Sauce Gardner at cornerback, the rookie, number four pick, he looked great in training camp, and and he'll be tested early. But I think he's up to it. Um, I think he's got a ton of talent, and that will help the front end as well. That defensive line, if Carl Lawson is fully healthy and he's ready to go, they're going to have some pressure up front on quarterback. So I, I just I think. That might be able to win them a couple of games and, and maybe even against those Patriots, you know. So, I, I, like I said, I think those three teams are going to beat up on each other, and I, I think I think the Jets will finish ahead of the Patriots. And the other question with the Patriots is, who's actually the offensive coordinator now now that McDaniel's yes. not there? Yeah. I mean, yep, do, do, totally. do you trust, trust Matt Patricia, a defensive guy, as your offensive coordinator? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Who knows? But that's the thing, right? Bill Belichick does these things, and you're like, oh man! And then they go, you know, go eleven and you know six or whatever this year. And like, okay, well, yeah, that shows what we know. But uh, I, I just think there's a time, right? There's going to be a time at some point where the Patriots are not as good as they've been, and I, I think this might be it. I think um, it's going to be tough for anybody other than the Bills to come out of that division. Um, and I, I just, I, this might be the point where the Patriots just don't match up to everybody else in that division. Well, Dennis, well, obviously we'll follow your coverage. Your Twitter address again is? 
It's DWAZ73, DWAZ73. Okay, of course, you'll be covering the Jets uh, for Associated Press as well as all of the NFL. We enjoy your coverage uh, on the AP, and we do put your stories in the Gazette. And uh, we appreciate the few minutes, Dennis, as usual, and uh, have fun this season. We'll t- keep in touch as the season progresses. Uh, sounds great, Ken. Thanks for having me, man. We're going to stay in the AFC East and talk about the New England Patriots with Brady Farkas of WDEV Radio and the Shenandoah High School graduates. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Welcome back to the podcast. Let's uh, talk New England Patriots football. The Patriots went 10-7 and last year with Mac Jones quarterbacking in his uh, rookie season. Had a good, good year. Um, but uh, things fell apart in the playoffs. A 47-17 loss to the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round. Um, you know, the big news out of New England was the departure of uh, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, and supposedly was the head coach in waiting once Bill Belichick decided to retire whenever that was going to be. Well, uh, Belichick's still coaching, and McDaniels went off to Las Vegas to take over the Raiders. Now, who's going to run the offense? Uh, Joe Judge is back. Matt Patricia, a defensive specialist, is back, but he's been moved to the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be an interesting uh, situation for the Patriots. And last Friday, I spoke to Brady Farkas of WDEV Radio. He's the host of the Brady Farkas Show there. And also a Shenandoah High School graduate. Here's my conversation with Brady Farkas. Well, Brady, welcome back to the podcast. How was your uh, summer? It was good. Too short, though, as always. I can't believe we're already back uh, into full, full playoff uh, pennant race baseball chases and, uh, and NFL seasons on too fast. Yeah, the college football season's underway, so a lot of great stuff going on. Well, let's talk about the Patriots. I mean, this team seems a little I mean, disarray, the right word. I mean, no McDaniel is the offensive coordinator. They're asking what, Mac Patricia to be the offensive coordinator? Disarray, I don't know that that's the right word. They have a plan, they're just not being very forward with that plan. I would say their offseason has been confusing, and most of us remain confused heading into the season. Why is why has it been confusing? I mean, we know Belichick's yeah, his own man. He's not going to care what media members say or anything like that. But why does this offseason seem so different than past offseasons? Well, first off, everybody could see last year that they lacked team speed. 
they lacked a lot of team speed, especially on offense, especially on the outside. Excuse me. And, and a lot of people, myself included, wanted them to draft a high-profile wide receiver in the first round. And what did they do? They drafted an offensive guard. And they, they needed linebacker help. And they didn't draft any linebackers, not even one linebacker. So the draft was confusing, although there were some good players that they got in the draft, don't get me wrong, but they didn't draft exactly what they needed when we thought they needed it. Then you go into the, you know, into the rest of the offseason, they changed the offense completely. At first we were told they were just simplifying the offense. Now they changed the offense completely. We haven't gotten a real good answer as to what exactly that change is or why it needed to happen. Um, the way it's been explained to me, which does make sense, is that Bill Belichick wants to combine offensive systems. He wants a little bit from his offensive beliefs, a little bit from Kyle Shanahan's offensive beliefs, and a little bit from Sean McVay's offensive beliefs. And that makes, on paper, that sounds great. Those are two phenomenal offenses and Bill Belichick's mind all at work. The problem is he doesn't have any any McVay or or uh, Shanahan disciples to teach this system, and the team can't seem to pick it up right now. So um, it's been a confusing offseason, and in the year where you're coming off a playoff berth, there's a little too much uncertainty heading into week one. I mean, I've, I've seen uh, Dennis Wazak Jr. of the Associated Press is picking the Patriots to finish last, and I was like, I'm, I was shocked to see that. I mean, is this a team that could conceivably under Bill Belichick finishing last place? Hey, I don't think they're going to finish in last. I mean, the Jets are still the Jets, and the Jets are very, very young. But they very easily could finish in third. Um, and, and the reason why you know I feel comfortable saying that is it appears that they are going to and are willing to start slow. And what Belichick said the other day was pretty interesting. He said, you don't really know who you are until week five, six, or seven. So if you step back, they're putting in this new offense. I think a lot of people think the goal was kind of plod your way through the first month and then hit your stride later. The problem is, is that the end of their season schedule was very, very difficult. So if they start out one and three, stubbing their toe, you know, as they learn the offense, it's not like they have, you know, an easy spot in their schedule where they're going to go on a seven-game run and just pick up speed. I mean, three of their last four games, I believe, are against playoff teams. Five of their last six are against playoff teams from a year ago. You know, they, they see Buffalo twice in the last six weeks of the season. So if they start slow, there's no guarantee that they just go on a run to, to finish 10-7 and seven or something like that. So they need to start fast, and right now it doesn't look like they're going to do that because there's just so much tumult on the offensive side of things. So, um, yeah, I see this team as, you know, anywhere between seven and ten wins, and you could say that for a lot of NFL teams, but I think they're probably closer to seven or eight, which probably is third in the division, not last, but probably third. Yeah. I mean, who is actually in name the offensive coordinator? Is it Matt Patricia or is is it Bill Belichick or uh, Joe Judge? I mean, who is – really going to be running the offense for this team? They officially don't have an offensive coordinator, so um, they don't have one in title. Matt Patricia is technically offensive line coach and uh, you know, kind of offensive consultant. Joe Judge is technically quarterback's coach, and Bill Belichick is the head coach. Based on what we've seen in the preseason, it looks like Patricia is going to be the guy calling plays, but there's also been some thought that in 
close moments or in the last, you know, phases of the game that Belichick might do it himself. And I guess we won't know that until we actually see it play out. Um, but I think Matt Patricia is going to be the guy calling the majority of the plays unless Belichick, you know, takes it from him, you know, for the final drives of the fourth quarter. Can a guy who's been known as a defensive coordinator run an offense? Um, I think that it probably could happen, but I don't believe that Matt Patricia specifically has been set up for success here right now. I mean, he's also being an off, learning to be an offensive coordinator is tough for guys that have been on the offensive side of the ball all along. So it's going to be doubly hard for a guy who's coming from the defensive side of the ball who was such a consultant last year and hasn't even been an on-field coach here you know, for over a year. So it was going to be hard anyway. So now you throw in that Patricia's also coaching the offensive line. This is a guy who's trying to do, trying to do multiple jobs while trying to learn one of them on the fly. And the offensive coordinator is arguably the second most important coaching position on your staff after the head coach. So he's doing a high profile job that he's trying to learn on the job while not being able to invest hundred percent of his time in it. That to me is a problem. And it all stems from the fact that, as Bill Belichick gets older, I just think he doesn't trust a lot of people. And, you know, he, he wasn't going to hire some 28-year-old hot shot that, from outside the organization. That's what, that's what I think a lot of us wanted to see. Like, hey, get innovative with the offense and bring in, bring in the next McVay, bring in the next Shanahan. But Belichick doesn't seem to trust that. He just wants guys who are his guys and it, to me, it seems like Patricia hasn't been put in a particularly good position to succeed. Yeah. I mean, I think, Matt, I mean, how would you assess Mac Jones' season last year as a starting quarterback? To, I mean, to me, I think he did okay uh, because he had an experienced offensive coordinator in McDaniel. But uh, year two for him, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. Mac Jones is good. Mac Jones is not special in my opinion. And that's the word we used a lot last year. Okay? Josh Allen, you see special. Justin Herbert, you see special. Joe Burrow, you saw elements of special. Matt Jones is good. He, he might even be pretty darn good, but Kirk Cousins is pretty darn good. And Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty darn good. And Jared Goff was pretty darn good for a bit. And, th- and their teams can't wait to get rid of these guys. you know. So, Matt Jones needs help and needs a support system, and right now I don't think he's getting it. Last year he had a better offensive line, as you mentioned. He had a good running game, had an experienced offensive coordinator, and they had an easy schedule. And he was able to exploit all of that to the tune of winning 10 games and go to the playoffs. And that was a huge success last year. This year, a lot of the fabric of what insulated them last year has been whittled away. They traded Shaq Mason off the offensive line unnecessarily. McDaniels is gone, hasn't been properly replaced. Um... I think their receiver group is better than people will give it credit for, but they didn't go get, you know, the elite wide receiver that we wanted in the first round. And the defense isn't as good as it was a year ago. J.C. Jackson leaves. Dante Hightower's gone. They still don't have a great pass rush. They have good players, but they don't have an elite defense. So the kind of the cushiness that Matt Jones had last year, it isn't there this year. So it's going to fall unfairly more on him to prop everybody up. It shouldn't have to be that way in year two, but that's what it looks like it's going to be, is Matt Jones having to kind of carry everybody. And, and I just don't think he is at the point in his career where he should be expected to do that. And I don't know that he's good enough to do that. Yeah. I mean, McDaniel was 
seemed to be the heir apparent as the head coach there of the Patriots, but then, you know, he get, takes the Raider job. Do you think he got frustrated to the point where he decided it was time to leave uh, the Patriots again? No. I've never bought into McDaniels was the heir apparent. I always thought that Belichick was sticking around long enough to give it to one of his kids. That was always my was always my thought. He's got two kids on the staff. Steve Belichick seems to be the biggest rise or not. I've had people fight me on that, that Robert Kraft doesn't want another Belichick. And when Belichick's gone, he'll want to just kind of break, break away from that. And that very well might be true. But I never saw either that McDaniels was the clear choice. Um, I don't think that McDaniels got frustrated. I think McDaniels rightly recognized, like, you only get so many chances at this. You know, he's he's getting to the point where he's not the young guy anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's been around. He's already failed as a head coach once. He's already burned Indianapolis on taking their job and backing out. So he doesn't have kind of the um, cachet that comes with being the young up-and-comer anymore. And he's got a track record that isn't particularly strong as a head coach. I think you just only get so many chances. The last couple of years, he didn't get the Philly job. He didn't get the uh, Cleveland job. He backed out of the, you know, didn't end up with the Carolina job. The interviews were coming, you know, less frequently. And you look at the Raiders, while they certainly were a mess in a lot of ways last year, they still made the playoffs. They still have a franchise quarterback. And, you know, he, Generally, when you take over a team, you're taking over a team that went three and fourteen or, or five and twelve. You're not taking over teams that went to the playoffs. So this could have—I I believe that this was pretty close to McDaniel's last best chance, and I think he recognized that. Yeah. What what will it take for the Patriots to get back to the playoffs this year? Well, the offense is going to have to get figured out quicker than it looks like it's going to. I mean, they need to come out strong. They play Miami in week one. That Miami, I think, is probably a better roster than them right now. So, you know, but that is a winnable game. They play, uh, I think they got Pittsburgh in the, time, in the first month. That's certainly a winnable game. They need to come out and be, you know, two and two after the first month. They cannot afford to be 0 and 4. They can't afford to be 2 and 5. Like, they need to come out strong. And then, you know, as, as everywhere in the NFL, you need some luck. And you never wish for anybody to get hurt, but it is unfortunately a reality of sport that you're going to play someone potentially who might not be at their best, and you have to take advantage of that. You know, last year, Patriots rolled Cleveland. Cleveland didn't have Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt in that matchup. If they did, maybe it's a different story. This year, the Patriots are going to play Cleveland without Deshaun Watson. So that is something that is already working to their benefit. Last year, they saw Tennessee without A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry. If, if you catch scheduling breaks like that, then you can certainly take advantage of it. And I think they're probably going to need some of those to uh, turn what probable losses into wins. What's their final record? Eight and nine. And how long do you think Bill Check will stay head coach? You know, he hasn't shown signs of slowing down. So I, I, I would say that his desire would be to be head coach for a couple of more years. I would throw the caveat out there that I do not think Bill Belichick is on the hot seat right now. But I do think if they struggle this year, I think next year he becomes on the hot seat. I think it's more likely that Robert Kraft gets rid of him than Belichick retires. Um, I think this year is going to be a tough year. I think Robert Kraft has always had to just say, well, and Bill, we trust because it's always worked out. 
I think this year, if it doesn't work out, which right now is, you know, I'm leaning towards it not working out, then next offseason, Robert Kraft looks at it and says, okay, this is the year. I've trusted you forever. It's no longer working. Now it's time to, to reproduce results. So I think this year, you know, an 8-9 season would we'll, we'll keep Belichick around. But next year, I think we'll get off the board. Here's a chance to promote yourself to social media platforms and where people can catch you. Brady Farkas Show, weeknights, 530, uh, WTEB Radio. Always trading at WTEBRadio.com. And follow me on Twitter, at WTEB Radio Radio. Brady, appreciate your Patriots insights, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Ken. Be well. There was plenty of movement in the NFL broadcasting world. Ken Fang of Awful Announcing joins me next to talk about that. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Welcome back to the podcast. Changes were happening in the NFL, not only on the field, but in the broadcast booth as well. To discuss that is our friend Ken Fang of Awful Announcing. Ken, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And my goodness, you need a scorecard to keep up with all the changes around the uh, TV. <laughs> oh, Ken, I'm telling you, this, this was the most upheaval I think I've ever seen going into uh, an off season and then coming into a new season. I mean, um, sometimes you get some free agency. Sometimes you get some changes um, going to a network lineup, but they're usually minor changes. They're not usually something like going on with the top teams. But um, I have to think we have to go back to a few years ago when Tony Romo signed his big contract with CBS, Ken, because without that contract, I don't think we get the upheaval that we did with the top teams. I mean, going from uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman going from Fox to ESPN, uh, Mike Tirico taking over for Al Michaels at NBC. Um, Of course, what happened with Romo a few years ago, uh, Jim Ness getting a big contract as well uh, over the last couple of years. And then uh, uh, finally, um, Al Michaels moving to Amazon. Yeah. So, um, without all that, without all that upheaval, without Tony Romo signing his big contract, we don't get the type of free agency that we saw this year. Yeah, let's start with Al Michaels because I, I find his situation kind of a curiosity because I mean, 
back when uh, the Monday Night Football franchise was shifted from ABC to ESPN, he wanted no part of that. He didn't want to be on cable, so he went to NBC yeah. for Sunday Night Football. Now, I mean, he's still, still, you know, at top of his game. He's going to uh, Amazon Prime Video, which I mean, I think it's going to be less viewership, and but he's got taking a lot more money for it. He's not going to be able. To, he's not going to ever, ever do another Super Bowl. I mean, what, what, what changed his mind? Because I mean, I, I just find out that, that was probably the the most curious move I, I, I thought. Because I me, mean, Al Michaels, I mean, he, he could stay at, he could have stayed at NBC and you know, you know worked six months out of the year and gotten a big paycheck and you know done a Super Bowl every every third or fourth year. Yeah, I mean, in the interviews I've read, Ken, he went from going being dropped from NBC to having the big possibility that if Joe Buck didn't go, he was going to go to ESPN to join Troy Aikman. And then, um, after Buck signed with Aikman, apparently Patriots owner um, Robert Kraft tried to convince Fox to bring Al Michaels over <laughs> to, because they have the next two out of three Super Bowls plus the um, – World Series, and Al, of course, uh, one of the best all-around announcers of our generation, could call multiple sports. So there, but Fox decided to go with Kevin Burkhart instead. And we didn't even mention that yet, but we'll, we, we will, yep. we will so shortly. But then he realized that after all this, there was one place that still wanted him, and that was Amazon. And he was going to, and after they couldn't team find a, a way to team him with Troy Aikman, they decided to go with Kirk Herbstreit. So, um, it, it, Michaels was definitely going through a merry-go-round. If you remember earlier this season, um, uh, reporter Andrew Marchand of the New York Post kept saying they were at the one-yard line of he and Amazon, mm-hmm. and they hadn't signed the contract yet. That was at what the that was where it was at the one yard line because there was a possibility that he was going to go to ESPN, and then Fox was a distinct was a I want to say distinct possibility but distant possibility, but then finally he got to Amazon and went into, went and went over that one yard line. But um, it, it was really interesting to see all the machinations, and of course we'll still talk. And of course there's still Fox. We have to still have to talk about Ken. Yeah. I mean, also Kirk Herbstreit, who's been known for college football, he's done the occasional NFL game on ESPN. I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how he's going to be able to handle that workload. You know, doing a game Thursday night and then had a quick turnaround uh, with college football and game day, and you know, doing the uh, primetime game on ABC. And you know, sometimes that primetime game is not where the site of college game day is. And I, I, that's going to be interesting to see how he's going to be able to handle that. Yeah, I agree, Ken. I, it's going to be fascinating because he's got to travel uh, from whatever game that is. And it could be a West Coast game uh, for Thursday Night Football. And then the college game day site could be somewhere in the SEC, like Gainesville. And then let's say the game of the day that he has to cover for Saturday Night Football for ABC is out at UCLA, so he's got a he's got a, a lot, he's going to have a lot of frequent flyer miles, and I certainly hope that, like Al Michaels, who has a private plane to take him everywhere, I certainly hope that ESPN and Disney have a private plane for uh, for, uh, for for Kirk, so he doesn't have to have any flight delays at any airports. Yeah, um, the big question with Amazon: I mean, are people going to yes. buy the sign up for the service? Because that's 
I mean, the games are not going to be NFL Network like it had been with Fox and CBS before that. So this is going to be interesting to see how much you know, they're, they're going to be able to draw viewers to this if people are going to be willing to pay the money to uh, watch the games. I mean, I, I mean I, the only time I want to really watch, you know, I'm in the office Thursday nights, we usually have the game on there. But, I mean, if, if it was a game of interest like my Eagles, I'll, I definitely want to watch it. But do I want to pay for the whole package for the entire year? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's The NFL's taking a big risk here, but they say it was like when they went to ESPN in 1987 with the Sunday Night Football package of eight games. They wanted to see if people would migrate those games over, and of course they did. Now the big question is streaming. Is it's going to be that same situation where um, the NFL takes a little bit of a hit at first, but then the audience follows the games. The whole thing is that uh, you got to give Amazon a good package of games. They do have a very good one to start off the, their season in week two with the Kansas City Chiefs at the Los Angeles Raiders. That is a very good marquee game. The Los so, Angeles Chargers. Yeah, well, they'll get charged. I'm sorry. Did I say right? <laughs> the Raiders. Sorry. The Raiders. The Raiders. Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> That's going a few, a a few Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All, all these things going. You know, I recently had COVID, so COVID brings up. Okay. So, we'll, you know, we'll, I, you, we'll excuse there. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, they have a good marquee game between the, the, the Chargers and the, and the Chiefs. But later on in the season, there's going to be a New York Jets game coming up. And it all depends. And if the Jets aren't doing very well... I can see Al Michaels being very bored Mm -hmm. in December, especially in the first week of December. And if it's a cold, cold day in New Jersey, he's not going to be very happy. So, but the thing is that the the audience has to follow that too. You have to have attractive games to follow them. So to get the, the, to hook those fans. Um, Now, if the, let's say the Jets are doing great and that's the only way they can watch the game. Well, they are going to be able to watch the game on the local affiliates. So that's going to help the ratings a bit. Mm -hmm. But, um, that, the whole thing is that uh, the teams have to be doing well for you to be able to want to watch those games. And uh, week two, yeah, Chargers and Chiefs, yes, you're going to want to watch that game. The Jets game in December, if they're not doing very well, you're not going to want to watch that game. Yeah. So uh, you, it, it, the whole thing is about the scheduling, and the whole thing is about uh, getting hooking people and uh, – the NFL is doing a big experiment here, and we're going to have to wait and see because they didn't get a very big audience for their first preseason game. They got about a million people, I think it was, uh, Ken, for uh, for their first uh, uh, preseason game. It was the, the final preseason game that was in week three. So um, I'm going to be interested to see what those numbers are. It's definitely not going to be the same as it was on Fox. Definitely, that's that's for sure. Um, Amazon estimates about 12 million people will be watching each week. Um, we'll we'll be we'll be we'll be uh, looking for those numbers to see how they do. Well, let's uh, go over to NBC and the man who's replacing Al Michaels, not for the first time. We should say is uh, Mike Tirico. Yeah. He replaced him uh, Monday Night Football. So I mean, we Tirico's used to this. Uh, you know, he, he's a good play-by-play guy, so it should be just you know, a smooth transition for NBC. Oh, yeah. And not only that, don't forget, he also did Thursday Night Football right. um, for Al, too. That's the reason why uh, NBC brought him over was to do the, the Thursday Night Football package. And they signed him. Originally, um, 
he was supposed to do that, then the NFL said no. So Al Michaels called the first season of Thursday Night Football off for NBC. But then Michaels decided that he didn't want to do those games. So uh, Tariko took over for him. So this would kind of be the second time that he uh, took over for Al Michaels. Yeah, it, it's a. He, he, I mean, this isn't a an unknown entity coming in because Mike has called some games uh, with Chris. Um, Collinsworth uh, over the last few seasons, whether it's been Thursday Night Football or coming into uh, when they quote-unquote gave Al a bye week, mm-hmm. uh, NBC did, so uh, they're trying to do that transition, uh, make everybody know that uh, Mike is coming in. So, yeah, uh, Tariko's done play-by-play. He's done the NFLs uh, going back to 2006. He's called Notre Dame football for NBC, kind of as a placeholder, giving him props, uh, giving him reps. So he's, you know, he, he he's going to be doing football. Uh, he's done footballs, uh, and he's not out of practice. So um, he's a pro. He's he did well in his uh, last preseason game that he did with uh, with uh, uh, Chris Collinsworth um, earlier a lot last month. So I have a feeling this is not going to be this is not something that an unknown, unknown entity. Um, he's going to come in and uh, he's a professional. Um, he's going to do great. And, you know, M- NBC feels that they have an, a, a guy who's going to be calling Sunday Night Football for many years to come. And Tariko's still young. I think he's still in his 50s. So um, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, the one move that NBC I was shocked by, and I really thought that Catherine Tappan would replace Michelle Tafoya, but, but Melissa Stark's coming back. I mean, I mean, I, I was like I said, I was shocked by that because I thought, you know, Captain Tapper was in line to take over. Yeah, so was I. But uh, apparently, the press release came out today, or um, this day that we're taping, Ken, on Tuesday. Uh, it states that Catherine Tappan will still be the post-game host of Sunday Night Football on Peacock. So she'll be doing that with Chris Sims. So she'll still have a presence on Sunday Night Football, just not on the field. Um, why they chose Melissa Stark over Catherine Tappan, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the NFL is the NFL. I'm sure the NFL had some influence on that. So let's go to Fox. Actually, let's actually go to ESPN with uh, the Buck and uh, Aikman tandem moving over from Fox. Uh, risky move for Buck and Aikman, or is this the right move? You know, this was really strange. Uh, I, I thought for sure that, you know, when Troy Aikman was discussing things with um, Amazon, that he would, you know, granted he wouldn't be doing, he would sign with Amazon, join Al Michaels, and then Buck would, uh, would still be teamed with Aikman on the 425 game uh, for the uh, what they call the America's Game of the Week. Mm-hmm. So, um but then things just fall apart, and uh, you could just tell in the interviews that you read with Troy Aikman is that he is still baffled as to why Fox didn't sign him. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, whether whether it was money, uh, whether it was just a falling out with uh, with Fox Sports president Eric Shanks, I don't know. Uh, you can just tell that Aikman is just baffled, and he's still a little bitter over this. I think he. He, he felt that, you know, look, I've been with your, I've been your number one guy for 20 years. Um, I've done everything you've asked me. And then is this, the, this is the way you treat me. I, I can understand where he's thinking. Um, we know that broadcast um, and, and, and sports television isn't a, a business of where necessarily that loyalty <laughs> is the, the number one word. Um, you know, you're only as good as your, as your last contract. So, Fox decided to go in another direction, and uh, 
Luckily, they they have a good relationship with Joe Buck. Joe could have easily uh, gone scorched earth, but uh, they decided just to let him go after what with one year left in his contract and uh, go to ESPN. Is it a risk? I don't think so because people know where Monday Night Football is. Ken, it's not like they're going to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they. Some of those games are still going to be on ABC, so ABC can get the Super Bowl. Um, it'll be less. It'll be less of a grind for them because they don't have to do sometimes two games a week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to just do one game a week. They're going to do Monday nights. Uh, they got a much better schedule now, uh, unlike the time when um, when they, we used to see like. Uh, some really bad games on Monday night. I mean, they would just be like, for instance, they do that doubleheader, the, the, the week one doubleheader mm-hmm. that was pretty decent, and then they just go into some really, really bad games. I mean, uh, I think that was, you know, something that uh, ESPN president Jimmy Pataro has stopped, managed to get a better relationship with, with ESPN and the NFL. And uh, now that they have, uh, and I'll, I think a lot of the reason was because ESPN just didn't have a consistent, lineup of announcers after Mike Tirico and John Gruden. They had like Sean McDonough, then they chose uh, Joe Tessitore, and then they had uh, Steve Levy after that, and they had a team, and every year you just didn't have a consistent team. I think that's what what the NFL didn't like it with ESPN, but now finally, they've got Buck and Aikman, they've got a couple of Super Bowls in this new contract, and they've got consistency, and they got a guy who, who can call big games, and I think you're going to see a much better schedule for ESPN and ABC, and uh, ABC is going to carry, I think, five games uh, for Monday Night Football, including, of course, that Week 18 Saturday doubleheader. So, um, plus a couple of playoff games now. They're going to have a wild card game, and they're also going to have a divisional playoff game too. So, yeah, I, I think that, that I don't think there's much of a risk for 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 Buck and Aikman. I think they get an easier schedule. Uh, they get to call the big game of the week. Everyone's going to be watching them on Monday nights, and they, they still get two playoff games, and I think they're happy with that. Yeah. Well, let's go to Fox. and the, uh, I, the One person I'm really happy for, and I've known him since uh, his days broadcasting the New Jersey Jackals of the uh, then Northeast uh, League of, Mon- of Independent Baseball, and I covered the uh, right. uh, the Albany <laughs> County uh, Diamond Dogs. Uh, Kevin Burkhardt, KB, uh, you I mean, he's he has a fascinating story. He, he drifted out of broadcasting for a while. You know, came back with uh, SNY as the Mets reporter and really made his name there. And, and Fox has discovered him, and uh, he's worked his worked hard, and, uh, and he's getting the chance to be the uh, lead uh, play-by-play announcer with Greg Olson. Yeah, I mean, uh, his story is absolutely fascinating. Um, not only has he paid his dues, but he also was a car salesman yeah. too for a while. And what's interesting is that his boss at the car dealership gave him those opportunities to say, look, you shouldn't even be here. Look, I understand you need to make money, but look, if you need to go to WFAN to do a sports update or you need to do some work, I'll be more than happy to give you that time off. And you know what? What boss is like that, Ken? I mean, I, I, that, that's, a, that's a great boss. So, And he seemed to know broadcasting better than a lot of the people who, who are his bosses. So. Um, yeah, he definitely has done a, uh, a lot of, uh, he's been around and, and to, to pay his dues and to be able to, as you mentioned, uh, call minor league baseball to go to WFAN to do updates, to finally go to SNY and then become the host of the world series on Fox, become the number two announcer, 
uh, behind Joe Buck, and now he's going to call the next two out of the three World of uh, Super Bowls for Fox. Uh, you couldn't be happier for a guy like that. And um, you know, I he and I have uh, gone back and forth on on Twitter quite a bit. Not you know, very friendly uh, conversations. That's one guy that you you really root for, and you just say, "Hey, I'm just very happy that he's going to be calling the next two out of three. Um, whether it's going to be with Greg Olson, he's definitely going it this season, yeah, yeah. or Tom Brady after that. That's, that's we don't that's, know. That's, but, that's, that's the question yeah. I want to bring up here. I mean, that's the elephant in the room. Tom Brady signed a, a contract with Fox. We just don't know when that's going to kick in. I mean, do they yeah. go to a three-man booth to keep Olsen there? I mean, you, 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 I mean, because you you look what they did for the second team, Moose Daryl Moose Johnson, who's really been buried the last few years, all of a sudden is on the number two team. Yeah, and he's going to get to call a playoff game too, so that's good. So you you, you know you're very happy for the guy like that for for Moose. Um, I mean, we all remember. Uh, you know, Dick Stockton, Moose and Goose, the late mm-hmm. Goose, uh, the late uh, great Tony Saragusa. Um, and of course, then it was Ken Albert with Moose and Goose. So you're happy with them. But uh, yeah, Greg Olson has definitely, um, he's a rising star with Fox. You don't want to see him go back to the number two team yeah. and displace Moose. So uh, I think uh, Greg Olson has had a great attitude about this. He says, I'm going to work my butt off this season. I'm going to make them so that they don't want to get rid of me. So maybe he's going to be uh, the number still on the number one team, and they bring in uh, Tom Brady as a number as, as the uh, as an extra man or, or in a three man booth, or maybe they just let Greg Olson go and just you know be able to find a, a way for a number one number one job elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I I, I I like the team of Burkhardt and Olson. They clicked very well last season. Um, they get to call a Super Bowl, and I, I really certainly hope that, uh, to be honest with you, I kind of hope Bre- uh, Tom Brady keeps playing for a few more years because I have really enjoyed Burkhardt and Olsen. I think they're going to continue to do a great job. The one network we really didn't talk about, and I think it's probably the most stable, is CBS. I mean, really minimal. I don't think there were any changes there. No, no. It's just, uh, it's, it's good. And that's what's interesting. Jim, Jim Nance said in the NFL and CBS uh, conference call last week, he said that, believe it or not, we are now the number one tenured, the longest tenured <laughs> of all of the number one teams um, in the booth. Granted, of course, Buck and Aikman have worked longer, but this is going to be their first year on um, ESPN. But yeah, as far as Network's concerned, it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be Nance and Buck. Uh, Nance, I'm sorry, Nance and uh, Romo and Tracy Wilson as the sideline reporter. Um, at least there's consistency, at least one of the networks. It's going to be CBS. And uh, what's interesting about them is that uh, they're going to have some really good games this year, Sue. So um, Jim and uh, Tony, uh, and, and there's stability there because both of them have signed long-term contracts, so we don't have to worry about them going anywhere. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, I guess that was a fascinating offseason just watching that because, I mean, I, I was more interested in that than some of the player movements. It's just a, it's yeah. just a, just a crazy – I mean, you likened it to when Rome was signed the contract. I, I think I go back to when Fox first started and all of a sudden all those CBS guys were coming over to uh, Fox to I mean, get them going. So it's just – it's a crazy and it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. And, uh, Ken, I always appreciate it. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at Fangs Bites. Uh, they can also find me on my Facebook page, which is the Fang Bites uh, Facebook page as well. 
And, uh, you know, Ken, uh, you know, it, it's always fascinating what happens in sports media. I keep telling everybody that it's a 24-7 beat and it never leaves you. And, uh, you know, I, I, what's going to be coming up next, of course, we talk, We haven't even talked about Big Ten, yeah, but I know that you got other let seven me to ask, go to. Yeah, let me ask that quickly. Yeah. Just a seven billion. Billion. Yes. <laughs> Yep. And ESPN is not even in it, so it's just it's 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 a fascinating what we're seeing with college football and you know college sports in in particular. And just what did you make of that deal? It was really fascinating, um, but it's a great deal for the Big Ten because a they're in a position of strength. Uh, they could they could pick and choose their networks, and uh, while ESPN is a big eight hundred pound gorilla in the room for uh, for uh, especially college sports, I think that uh, the Big Ten was fed up of uh, big being, they said, look, we are the big fish in a huge pond, okay? We don't want to be a, a small fish in a big pond. So we just we, we know that we're going to be treated well as the number one guy on, in the most favorite nation status for Fox. We know that CBS is going to, was looking for to replace the SEC, so we're going to go with them in the 330 slot and get that same music and have Brad Nessler and Gary uh, Danielson and the same production crew. And then uh, NBC, I think that was a great move by them. They said, look, we want to do... We want to pair you and cross-promote you with not only Notre Dame football at 3.30 in the afternoon, but give you a Saturday night slot, but also cross-promote you with Sunday night football. So we have not only Saturday night football with the Big Ten, but we also have the uh, Sunday night football. So uh, it works all the way around for um, the Big Ten. And, of course, it leads to maybe more, more money for the college football playoff. And then um, even more money for ESPN to, to, to take that, and also maybe at Fox or NBC or CBS. So, college sports is uh, you talk about upheaval, uh, Ken. That's definitely the big upheaval there. Yeah, just it's, it's fascinating, and uh, I, I I just can't comprehend when I first got into this business long a time ago. We talk we we talk these kind of contracts, but here we are. 2022 yep. talking billions so can appreciate a few minutes and uh get i hope you're feeling better and uh, we'll talk soon thank you very much ken talk to you better talk to you down the road all right that's ken fang i'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the daily gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 27 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Peter Height of Rotterdam. Peter wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Peter. The VIP winner was Jerry Peel of Frank and Sons Body Works. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com 
and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The pro football season is here, and that means it's time for the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest. To play and have a chance to win a $100 Hannaford gift card, sign up at dailygazette.com football. There is also a chance to win a $1,000 travel voucher and a trip to Hawaii as part of a national contest. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shot Podcast. I want to thank Dennis Wazak Jr., Brady Farkas, and Ken Fang for coming on the show. Next week, we'll start our weekly look at high school football with the Gazette's Adam Schinder. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good football.